Everybody doing good tonight? Yes, sir. Right. Thank you for having me here tonight. Pastor, I really appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to come and minister tonight. It uh, means a lot to me. Uh, and uh, God, I believe God has prepared my heart with a message for you tonight that's, that's life-changing. It's not just a sermon, it's a message. And so I want you to receive it with open hearts, with open arms, because it's going to not only change your life, but it's going to change your sons and down to the third and fourth generation. Your relationship with your, both your spiritual dad and your uh, biological compiler, if he's still around. So there are some good things in this lesson tonight. And uh, before I go any further, you know, a wise man told me at one point, he said, you know, three of the most powerful words in the English language are the words, I love you. There are three, there are three of the most powerful words in the English language. And these three words cause uh, kings to abdicate their throne, cause women to surrender their virtue. And they cause us men to act like other fools. <laughs> For sure. But then there are two more words that are just as powerful, and those words are, are thank you. The words thank you. And uh, it's amazing how Jesus, when he healed ten lepers, only one went back to say thank you, and thereby having his healing confirmed. Gratitude confirms relationship. So for me to come in here and speak to you tonight and not be grateful and understand that first, Pastor Allen is the shepherd of the flock and I'm here to assist him in what God has put in his heart for the men here. So I just want you to, to know Pastor, it's an honor. And I like Pastor simply because well, one of the reasons I like him so much is because the joy of the Lord is on him. You know, some pastors you see him there, they're toiling, they're laboring. Um, I'm sure he has his moments, but for the most part, when when I see you, brother, you're just excited about the things of the Lord, and 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 I I personally believe that the church should be the, the happiest place on the planet because we have Jesus Christ, the Lord and King, and we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Our debts have been paid in full. You know, even on our worst day, we're better off than the sinner or the best sinner. So why would we want to look like a mule that's got a sore tooth that's chewing on gravel? We don't. <laughs> you know, some guys you look at them and they're just sour pussies. So, but I'm here to encourage you tonight. Um, November of 2007. Spent a lot of time in 2007 just in ministry. I've been in the ministry of uh, vocational pastor for over eight years. Uh, um, Three of those years, I was men's pastor at a pretty large church in Irving. We had over 400 men, uh, and we would meet consistently uh, at least once a quarter. Uh, but we do some Wednesday night stuff. But uh, God has just given me a, rebel, uh, a gift to minister to men, uh, even at the age of 44. How, how many of you know when God calls you, He prepares you? God always prepares you, and, and God's and God's kingdom is always. Um, Everything in God's kingdom is, is done according to a pattern. God never deviates from his pattern. His patterns are all the same, or are always the same. Patterns, for example, mentoring, discipleship, those are, those are patterns of the kingdom. You're not qualified to lead until you're willing to serve. Humble yourself. So God qualifies us to lead to the degree that we're willing to serve. Now, I didn't get that revelation just right offhand. I played 10 years of professional basketball internationally. But when I came home from overseas, one of the first things I thought I was going to end up doing was just 
go to the mega churches and preach the word of God. God asked me to clean carpet for the first 10 months of coming back home. You talk about a humbling experience to go into someone's house day in and day out and clean carpet. And you go in those houses and you knock on those doors. First thing they do when they see you is, wow, you're tall. The second question they ask you is, why aren't you playing professional basketball? <laughs> every every day. <laughs> Two hours, kids following me around. Can I get your autograph? I know you play basketball. I'm cleaning carpet, and it's just amazing how God used that experience to humble me. But the word of God is true. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and in due season, he really taught you. So uh, I like to tell you that, that those eight months were just a month. Those months were just comfortable and easy and peaches and cream. But I, I fought with God for six, for six months every day, complaining and whining and being critical and obnoxious. And Anybody ever had a day like that? <laughs> you know, just when you take the gloves off and say, okay, God, here's the deal. Kind of like the guy on, uh, on Forrest Gump, Sarge, when he goes up on the ship and he's like, is that all you got? The rain is blowing and the thunder is coming and his head is legs amputated and he's just mad at God. I've had many of those days where I just got with Daddy and said, hey, what's the deal? What is the deal? And uh, during those eight months, that's what I dealt with. What's the deal, Dad? You, talk, you took me out of professional basketball to clean carpets to humiliate me in front of my family and friends. I got to go out and tell people. I go from playing professional basketball to being a carpet cleaner? What is that all about? <laughs> you know, family and friends are asking you, hey man, what are you doing here? For the last 10 years, you've been playing pro ball. Everybody's looking up to you. You're highly esteemed. You're the guy that, that you know, is blessing and helping everyone. And, and then all of a sudden, just like that, all that's taken away and, and God's saying, okay, I know how you can handle being up there. How can you handle being down here? Mm. Wow. Guys, six months of just back and forth battling. I didn't see the long-term goal, though. I didn't see the long-term plan. See, God doesn't always show us the long-term plan. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't explain himself. He only reveals himself. And so for six months again, just cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. Now, I'd I love to tell you that at, at, at some point I, I, I said, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop being critical. I'm going to stop whining. I'm going to stop complaining. You give me an opportunity to be in a vehicle that has a uh, uh, tape player on tape cassettes of the Bible and tape cassettes of, of sermons, uh, things that I've heard that's going to minister to my spirit. And for the next couple of months, that's all I did. I fed myself with the Word every day. I use it as an opportunity to, to be an interim sanctuary. Uh, I would travel in that van, that carpet cleaning van, for two, three, four hours a day, just getting from point A to point B. In those two, three, four hours, I, I, I translated it into this study in prayer time. And after two months, God released me from that. And it was interesting how he did it. Gentlemen, I go into work one day, and the, and the boss says to me, I want to, there's a young man coming to work with you, Mom, you're going to train it's because you're not going to be here very long. God is just, my boss was a Christian. God is just going to, uh, he's just using you for this moment. You're not going to be here for long. You see, there are times when God will show other people things about you. And they'll help release you into the destiny of God. And in your heart, you see yourself as small. But, but other people will see you as much, much bigger than they see the vision. They see the. They see the purpose. They see the plans. They see the. Uh, the just the uh, 
uh, talents that you possess, and they know that the favor of God is on you. And that's exactly what happened to me. So the next day I go to work, and a guy comes, he hops in the front seat of the man, he's all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and, and he introduces me to me, I'll never forget it. He said, my name is Mark, and I'm studying to be a pastor. So well, get on in, brother. <laughs> this is a humbling experience. I didn't tell him that, but I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm on my way out. You're bringing another one in to train him. Everything God does, he does according to a pattern based on kingdom principles, Hebrew chapter 5. I came here to tell you something tonight, and it won't take me but 30 minutes to explain this to you. Maybe less. Depends on how quickly I need to, to move on. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over to Malachi chapter 4. <laughs> and I'm going to set this up by saying, uh, in, in November of 2007, the Lord started dealing with me about taking my day off, which was a Friday, and, and spending time fasting and praying. And about week six into it, just taking Fridays and fasting and praying, sitting here at my desk, and I begin to read through the book of Malachi. And as, as I got to chapter 4, um, verses 5 and 6, it was almost as if an old friend walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and pointed out a couple verses to me and said, you see those two verses? Yes, sir. It's going to have to happen before the return of Jesus Christ. The last two verses in the book of Malachi said, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, in order to understand exactly what's going on here, you have to keep this whole, whole, um, these two, two scriptures in context. Now, what was going on in Malachi's day? Who was Malachi? What, what's the backdrop? What's going on with the children of Israel? My, my 10 years of traveling overseas taught me something. It taught me that everybody doesn't think like a Western thinks. Everyone doesn't think like an American thinks. Americans have basically, our mindset, and our customs and traditions are, are a lot like the Greek philosophers, the Greek mindset. And, well, here, God is talking to Hebrew individuals. He's talking to the children of Israel who had a Hebrew mindset as opposed to a Greek mindset. A Hebrew mindset, is, it, it's, it's about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Generations, community. It's about the people. Um, a, a Greek mindset is about me, myself, and I. It's about I am a God setting myself up. Uh, everything's about me getting to the top of the ladder and uh, fulfilling my, my purposes and my desires. There's a difference between the two. So when you read the Bible, you have to read it from a Jewish or Hebrew perspective. Now, why did God t send me overseas for 10 years? To teach me a lot of different things. One of the first things I learned was when you go to, to someone else's country, you're a guest. You don't belong there. You're just visiting. And they will let you know very quickly that your customs don't always apply to us. And so I set that up for you to let you know that the book of Malachi, basically the word Malachi means messenger. And um, it's Malachi had a burden from the Lord for the people of Israel, for the children of Israel. Now, in order to understand what a burden is, um, let me use a military term for, term for you. Write this down, would you please? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. 
Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. In those two, three scriptures, excuse me, in those three scriptures, Paul is explaining to the church of Ephesus exactly what it is that God means when he's talking about burdens. There are two, two different types of burdens. One is burros in the Greek, and the other is portion. In verse 2, it refers to burros. Burros simply means, and it's referring to a brother, if you've seen a brother falling in sin, go to him and help him. Burden. That particular burden is referring to a crushing weight. It's a crushing weight that if someone doesn't come along and help me, this crushing weight has the ability to kill me. If another brother doesn't come along and help me carry this load or get this burden off of me, it has the, the ability to crush me, to literally kill me. The second one is, is fortune, which simply means that it's each man's allotted weight. It's a military term that means you carry your own backpack, your own fatigue, your own weapon. Uh, you, you, you carry your own uh, ammunition. You carry your own, every, you, you wear your own boots. Every day, you're ready to go to war. But you're responsible for those things, for your own personal survival. Okay, you got that? So he's using these two terms. Malachi had a burros, a burden for the church. God had given him a burden for the church, for the children of Israel, because they just returned from exile. And um, they were, there was a high there was a high degree of, of immorality among the people, even to the point where he addressed the priests because the priests were sacrificing lame animals to them. The, the priests were, like, were sacrificing less than perfect uh, offerings to God, even to the point where God said, sacrifice this to your governor and see what your governor would think. Sacrifice this to a dignitary and see if they would accept it, but yet you bring it to me. He addressed the priests because the priests were also, they were corrupt. They were influencing the people in a negative way. Instead of using their influence to, to lead people to God, they were using their influence to, to, uh, to cause people to sin. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? It's simple. Because God had a plan for the men of that generation. He had a plan for the men of the generation. And so Malachi had this real serious burden on him and his burden was to communicate to people to love God. All right? So, you get the picture. Israel, in time of sin, Israel was in a place in time where, where, where the priests were marrying other, other women. They were divorcing their wives to marry women that were sacrificing to idols. So it was just a whole bunch of confusion. But God allowed one man in that generation. Now, another interesting fact about Malachi was he was... Throughout a time of a thousand years, he was one of many prophets that foretold the coming of Christ. But he was the last prophet to prophesy before 400 years of silence. Now, wouldn't you think that if the Spirit of the Lord was going to blow on one of you men, and that was the last time God was going to speak for 400 years, don't you think what he's about to say is important? This is what he said. Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. Hearts of the children to the father. And if you look in the original Hebrew text, it says hearts of the fathers to the sons and hearts of the sons to the father. Now, I want to take you somewhere. When um, Moses went into Pharaoh's house 
And there were ten plagues. What was the last plague? The murder of the what? The murder of the firstborn son. Now I'm going to take you somewhere because this is important. I had to I had to take the time to set that up for you so that you can understand what I'm going to tell you here in about ten minutes or so. Murdering of the firstborn son. Okay? Anytime you murdered the firstborn son, you cut off a man's ability to leave an inheritance. Okay? When God severed or killed the firstborn son in Pharaoh's house, and every male Egyptian, he cut off their ability to leave inheritance to their children because the firstborn son is well known. The firstborn son is the one who's the rightful heir. Anybody else is just a defendant. And so when that happened, the devil said, huh, I'm going to have to return the favor now. So the devil, ever since then, has been, has been spending time returning the favor. Where am I going with this? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2. God gave some original instructions to Moses and Abraham. And uh, <clears throat> that you may fear the Lord your God and keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you, your sons, your grandsons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he is one God. You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your might, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. Everybody say diligent. diligent. To your children. And you shall talk, to, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise up. God's given instructions to the patriarchs. He didn't give the instructions to the lady. He gave it to the man. He said, you teach your children. And you, and you, and you. You teach your children. Why? God gave the man the authority to be the spiritual leader. Now, you have to understand some customs and traditions in regards to uh, the Hebrews. At this particular time, this is how it functioned. If you were a kid, male or female, basically the first six years of your life, you would spend time with that mother because that mother would nurture you. She would she would love on you. And those are young years and they're just beginning to walk. And so they need the mother's nurturing. Anytime the kid gets from about six and a half to seven up through 13, 12 or 13, what he's doing is he's spending as much time as possible with the dad because in those, in those six years or so, Dad is teaching them the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And at the age of 12 or 13, that individual, uh, particularly the men, would go before the elders or the religious leaders, and they would have to really just quote verbatim the first five books of the Bible. Now, if I give you six years, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> If I give you six years, I mean, in your, in your, between seven and 13, and your mind is young and fresh, you think you could probably hold it verbatim? You got six years to learn it. You could probably do that. They didn't have any television, they didn't have any radio, no iPods, no anything to, to distract them. They just had the Word of God, and they had Daddy telling them all the time. And each year was a constant reminder because of the traditions and the, uh, the time clock. They would have certain celebrations each year, so the kids were excited about that. There was no Christmas. There was no Easter. There was holidays that God instituted. So kids understood. Question. Jesus, when he was 12, what was he? 
Now, you've heard that many times. But today, hearing what you just heard, it makes it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Jesus was basically just doing what it was that Hebrew boys did. He'd go into the synagogue. And at the age of accountability, they called it at that particular time, you becoming the son of the Torah. And many of you heard this as a tradition or so. Um, when a man becomes 13, he's accountable for what? His own his own sins. I heard that all the time growing up. I'm thinking, where in the world did that come from? It's called the age of accountability. So, from the age of 13 to 30, you didn't hear much about Jesus. It said he grew in stature, and he grew with favor with man. Typically, in, in the Hebrew culture, from the age of 13 to 30, the young man is being groomed to take over the family business. And at the age of 30 plus, they're released into the business or the ministry or whatever it is that they're called into. Is this making sense to you? David was anointed king as a young man. Didn't become king until he was 30 plus. Joseph had the dream at what, 14 through 17? I don't, some people did differentiate. <coughs> but he didn't become the ruler until plus 30. Jesus, when did he, when did he begin his earthly ministry? Yeah. So it was just a mindset. Now, with all of that in said, they also knew that it was customary for any dying man to pronounce a blessing over his children. Abraham did it, Isaac did it, Jacob did it, David did it. It was it's just customary. It was built into the law. So if daddy's gonna die, the son is gonna go. Remember, Jacob and Esau, they went in for the blessing. Daddy was about to die. Every man knew that. And so daddy would pronounce a blessing over there. The disciples knew this. Now, if you, for the sake of time, I can't turn turn there for you. I mean, I don't want you to turn there, but this picture is played out in 2 Kings chapter 2. But it, it, it demonstrates to us that not only the physical sons, the biological sons could allow, could, could receive this blessing, but it also meant the spiritual sons. Any spiritual son that you have had a right to a blessing as well. Um, Deuteronomy 21 7. It's the first, it's the right of the firstborn son to not only have a blessing, but a double portion of what it is that his dad has. This is all in their Hebrew mindset. They knew it. They expected it. They, 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 they positioned and conditioned themselves for it. I mean, I can tell you about little things that happen in the new, in the New Testament. When James, uh, who are the two brothers that mother came along and she says, when you come into your kingdom, sit one on the left and the other on the right. She wanted her sons to have that blessing. It's interesting how the disciples, they tried to follow Jesus to the cross because they had an understanding that if you follow him, if he's, if, if my dad is leaving or if my spiritual father is leaving or, or, or my mentor is leaving, if I can hang with him and I see him go, I'm going to get that blessing. But I'm not only going to get that blessing. I'm, I'm in line for a double portion of what it is that he has. Like Elisha. Okay, so you're there. Elijah and Elijah in Second Kings chapter 2. It's interesting how Elijah, the, the Elijah, who's the, the elder statement or the prophet, in, in 1 Kings 19, 19, 
he, after Elijah had ran from from the from Jezebel, he spent some time. God said, God rebuked him and said, "What are you doing?" There's there's five hundred who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, and it's time for you to get up off your duff, stop feeling sorry for yourself. See, God gives you two heads, one to think with, one to sell. How you fare in life depends on which one you use. Head you win, tails you lose. <laughs> but God, so here you have this situation with Elijah and Elijah, and he's and Elijah goes to and tell God tells Elijah, get off your duff. You've got two men that I need you to anoint king, and then there's a young man that I want you to to, to anoint as your successor. He's going to be your servant. He's going to follow you around. He's going to see you perform miracles. He's going to see you because the next generation is going to need a prophet. They're going to need a man of God who's not only just as powerful as you, but twice as powerful as you. Because he's in line. He's going to be your spiritual son. And your spiritual son not only is allowed to have the blessing, but your spiritual is the principle of the firstborn blessing. That's what it's called. The principle of the firstborn blessing, which is a, a, a right, an inherited right to a double portion of what it is that your dad had. Think about this. All throughout the history of the United States, the enemy has attacked the man. He has cut off the male's ability to not only bless our sons to speak life into them, but life and death is in the power of the tongue. If we understand this kingdom principle here, which is a principle of not only blessing our, our biological sons, but God giving us the authority and the ability to raise up spiritual sons. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 2, it's amazing how they've got sons of the prophets in there twice. 50 prophets, they call them the sons of the prophets, who were based in Jericho. And those 50 prophets, sons of the prophets, they, they wasn't about a biological father, they were spiritual sons. So you have, you have Elijah and Elijah, spiritual dad, spiritual son. But he never called him father until, I believe it was verse 12. Let me take you somewhere real quick. Turn over there real quick with me. You got a couple minutes. We okay on time, Pastor? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Second Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass the Lord was about to take Elijah into the heavens uh, by a whirlwind. And Elijah went to Elijah from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elijah said, As sure as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So then he went down to Bethel. And now the sons of the prophet, everybody say sons of the prophets, who were at Bethel came to Elijah. Bethel means house of God, a place where God is worshipped. And he said, do, do you know that the Lord will take your master from you today? And he said, Shh, be quiet, be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Jericho means a place of fragrance, okay? But he said, surely as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said to him, do you not know? And they said the same thing. Do you not know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? And he tells them again, shut up. He tells 50 prophets to be quiet, hold your mouth. I don't want to hear what you have to say right now. Okay? Because there's something that I'm trying to get, and you're messing it up. So, and then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for I'm going down to 
to the Jordan. And the word Jordan means downflowing. Okay? Usually making reference to anointing, downflowing. But he said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. And the 50 sons of the prophets went and stood facing uh, at a distance while the two of them stood at the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and he divided it in two ways so that the two men crossed over on, other, on, the, on dry ground. Then, and so it was, when they had crossed over, Elijah said, Ask, you've been following me around, you've been telling me, you've been all over me, what is it that you want? And look, he invokes the right of a firstborn son. This just didn't fall out of the sky. It was a part of their culture. It was a part of their manhood. They expected it. They had an expectation. How many of you, if, 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 how many of you know about inheritance? If your dad tells you, son, I've got you all taken care of. On the day that I leave this place, the money that I've made is going to be yours. But hey, I've been a good steward. I've got double waiting for you. As a son, you're going to be hanging with dad. You know dad's leaving, and he's about to leave you some millions. But he says, you see, the only way you get this money is you see me when I go. How many of you are going to be your best to stick around? Come on now, let's be real. We're men here. <laughs> you're going to do everything you can. You're not going to have 50 prophets talking to you because your focus has to be on division. So Elijah says, please let me have a double portion of, of your spirit that's upon you. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. To Elijah knew that he himself could not give a double portion. That had to come from God. Okay? And it had to be received by faith. But Elijah, the servant, had the faith to receive it. How does this... What does this mean in New Testament terms? I mean, Pastor, you're talking to me about all this stuff. Old Testament, what's it got to do with the New Testament and what Jesus did purchasing, uh, paying for my sin on Calvary's cross? And, and why are you telling me about all this Old Testament stuff? What does that have to do with me right now, where I am as a man here in the United States of America? How does this affect my relationship with my son? How does this affect my relationship with my dad? My dad's not here anymore to bless me. Some of you don't even know your father. I didn't until I was 38. Never met him. So I asked God, why in the world would you give me some, a revelation like this to teach the man? So because you have known your father. I've been your father. Because the word of God says, I'm a father to the fatherless. <laughs> and he's been there with me every step of the way. So men need to have this revelation because when you... When you have this revelation, there's an affirmation that takes place in your life. And when you have an affirmation that takes place in your life, then there's something that breaks the back of the enemy. Because too many men feel spiritually inadequate to be leaders in their own home. If you, if you, if you feel like you can't be a leader in your own home, you won't be a leader in society. And God has created us all to be leaders. Every single one of us sitting in here, God has given you gifts and he's given you talent. And he's expecting you to be a leader. Can't get an amen? Okay. <laughs> Anybody got rocks? Okay. Any place where they throw rocks at you. That's a good that's a good thing. So Elijah applied the principle of the firstborn son and he asked for asked for a spiritual inheritance of a double portion. There's a parallel verse in Luke chapter one, verse seventeen, which says, And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what this is all about. Making ready a people that's prepared for the Lord. Spiritual inheritance also known as the children of Elijah. Romans 8, 16. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bear witness that we are children of God. How did that translate in the New Testament? The Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. Heirs with Christ. Joint heirs. So now, the picture that you see in the Old Testament, because of the fact that Jesus hung on the cross for us, we're not only heirs, but we're joint heirs with Christ. Remember Jesus said something to his disciples. He says, this that I do, you will do. And even what? The disciples didn't even have to think about it. Because they knew they had a right to do twice as much. And it applies to us as well. It's interesting, another thing that Jesus that was said, Matthew's, I believe, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, he sent his disciples down and he said, Who do men say that I am? What did they say? Son said he was John the Baptist. Malachi chapter 4. Some say that you're Elijah. The spirit of Elijah. Some say. But who do you say that I am? That's where it stands. Who do you say that he is? And Peter said, well, shoot, that's easy. You're the Christ. You're the burden removing and you're destroying. And Jesus said, on this rock I build my church. It was centered around this passage. It was centered about, around men being who God has called them to be. It was centered around us understanding that we have an inheritance with Christ. Paul took it a little bit further in his teachings. Romans 8.23 Not only that, but we also have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves. Romans 8.26 Eagerly waiting for the adoptions, the redemption of our body. So we have everything except the redemption of our bodies. We've got the fruit of the Spirit. We've been sealed for the day of redemption. What's next? The adoption of our bodies. Are you guys catching this? Mm-hmm. First Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 16. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has for those who love him. Luke chapter 9, 35. God affirmed his son. This principle applies all throughout the New Scripture. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, one of the first things God did was affirm it. You follow me? Mm-hmm. He affirmed it. Yeah. John 3, 14. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God spoke two times affirming his son. Luke chapter 9, 35. This is my son. Hear him. And that's when Moses and Elijah was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses, and, write this down. Nine, Luke 9, 35. This is my beloved son. Hear him. He had the law and the prophets on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And they're all standing right there with Jesus. Jesus was the end of the law. It's a grace. It's a grace period now. So,
Jesus makes reference to the double portion anointing. Just for those of you that have got to just get it, sink it down in you. He who believes in me, the work that I do, he will also do an even greater because, uh, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in that. That's John 14, 12 through 15. Elijah and Elijah were a type and shadow of the New Testament. Because remember, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament points to Jesus. The twelve followed him. Listen to this. The twelve followed him, but scattered when they when he was arrested in John 16. They understood the spiritual inheritance, the firstborn right, the double portion anointed. They expected Jesus to pronounce a blessing over them before he returned to heaven. This makes sense. They expected Jesus to pronounce a blessing over him. Now, one, one last thing here. Before Jesus left, Luke 24, 50, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. <coughs> so Jesus fulfilled even to the last second because the disciples tried to hang with him. Peter tried to stay in there with him. They wanted this blessing. They knew they had to have it. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter, won't come. That's part of the inheritance. But they were expecting the kingdom. Their mind was stuck on Old Testament things and Jesus was trying to usher in the new covenant and he was giving them the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us in all truth. The importance of fathers understanding this. Because without wisdom, God's people perish. Without knowledge, men are just going home, getting the remote control, not taking the opportunity to lay hands on their kids, not taking the opportunity to lay hands on their wife. I've traveled the whole, all over the world ministering to men. And there's an authority that men walk in that changes the atmosphere when they come home. God ordained it to be that way. And there are young men that will be attracted to you who don't have fathers, spiritual spiritual fathers, biological fathers. And God is expecting you as a man to understand these principles so that you can look that young man in the eye and let him know that there's an inheritance that he too can walk in for that next generation. Because with each generation, the blessing of the, or the, or the, or the, the uh, anointing grows. That's how the kingdom of God expands. Because the enemy knows this. And he's been for generations killing them. Listen to this. 90% of homeless children are fatherless. 85% of children with behavior disorders are fatherless. 80% of all rapists are fatherless. 75% of all chemical or drug addicts are fatherless. 71% of all high school dropouts are fatherless. 70% of juvenile offenders are fatherless. Youth suicides, 63% of the kids that are killing themselves are fatherless. One third of all black men are in the penitentiary system. There's another third that's on government welfare. And then there's a third that's working. The, the black male, and I'm just bringing this home, the black male is, is functioning on one third of its strength, unless we know the Lord. 
So we've got so many young African-American men out there who are killing themselves. The highest rate of, of, of death among African-American men is homicide. They're killing each other because of pride. And they're proud because daddy never showed them how to be a man. And they're associated and they're wanting to be associated with gangs because gangs affirm them. Jesus was affirmed. The devil is using the principles of the kingdom to lead young men away from Okay, how do we change that? Each man understands this revelation. And you ask God, how do I influence not only my household, but other young men? Let me ask you something. And I want you to be honest with you. How many of you had has ever had your father lay hands on you and pronounce a blessing over you? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you has ever had your father lay hands on you, look you in the eye and say, you are my beloved son or I'm, I'm proud of you. You are a man. I'm affirming you as a man today. Raise your hand. See, I needed to come here tonight because God's going to break something off you. See, if your daddy has never done that, most most dads just didn't know. Many dads worked hard. You know, they gave their life. They were good men. But this revelation, they did not know. There's an impartation that takes place with the laying on of hands. That's why Paul told Timothy, forsake not the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. There's a, there's a transference of, of anointing when you lay hands on someone, right? <clears throat> yeah. So what I want to do is, because my dad never did that to me, but I, I've had spiritual fathers lay hands on me and pronounce a blessing over me. I would like to stand with, along with Pastor, Pastor Allen here, because God is going to do something. He's going to shake some things in, in Granbury. And all it takes is a few good men. How many of you saw that movie 300? <laughs> oh, come on now. Nobody. <laughs> How many of you saw the movie 300? Okay. Boy, I tell you. When I first, when I, the first couple of scenes, I'm like, oh, this is trash. But as I went through it, and the, and the, and the uh, king is walking up that hill, and the other king brings his men. And the king looks at it and said, I thought you were going to bring more soldiers. We've got more soldiers than you. And the king looked at him and said, you there, what do you do? I'm a blacksmith, sir. And you there? Potter, sir. What about you? He said something to the paper. I'm, a, I'm an artist, armor. And the king looked back at his mighty warriors and he says, Spartan! Who are we? And he let out this sound. He shook the earth. And the king looked back at that other king and said, You see, my friend, I did bring more soldiers to you. <laughs> <laughs> the Spartans. Yeah. What God is going to do is shake some things. <clears throat> but he's looking for faithful men that he can entrust this move with. You are those faithful men. The hour has come. The young men in this house are going to gravitate to you. God never said, put the young men in another room. He said, put them in here with you. Look in their eyes. Affirm them. 
we're going to let the Holy Spirit have its way now, and I'm going to get out of the way. But I wanted to just give this revelation to you, so that as we lay hands on you, and as we affirm you into your manhood, this is not some kind of spooky thing here. This is a this is a reality. I've preached in many churches over the last several months. One church was a huge church, and I asked the men, "Where'd you hear?" Out of hundreds of men that were present, only three raised their hand. I stopped the service. I said, Pastor, I want you to come up and pronounce a blessing over these men. And as he was coming forth, he told me later that he was nervous because no one had ever pronounced a blessing over him before. Mm-hmm. It's hard to give something away that you never received. The enemy, that's why he's been attacking the men of the United States of America. Makes sense, doesn't it? You see what you've been entrusted with? Would you be faithful with it? If the Lord gives it to you tonight? Because you're, you're operating on behalf of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus is coming back for his pride one day without his pride blemish. And now that you have this, this New Testament revelation of, of how Jesus is expecting you as men to move forward under the power of the Holy Spirit. Affirm men. Amen. Stand to your feet, please. Pastor, would you come forward? I'm going to invite the. Uh, is everyone here part of New Generations Church? Yes. Okay. I have been a part. Goes to Church in Weatherford. Okay. Very goes Church in Denver. I want you to feel comfortable enough to allow these men to stay stand in the the, the stead of, of your your pastor. And understanding that the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So, and if you don't feel comfortable doing that and you want your pastor to pronounce a blessing over you and an affirmation, just go to him and do it. But I'd like to invite the elders to come up and just begin to pronounce those blessings over the men and affirm them. Amen. Uh, I'll I'll do it over everybody, and then we'll just span out and minister to them individually. Mm-hmm. And then if you're led to minister to another guy in the room, do it. Let's let's minister and affirm each other. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah, Father. We just thank you for this word that that you are speaking in the earth and and uh, sending one of the vessels, the choice vessels, to declare this word. And Lord, we receive him for the man you've called him to be, and we receive this word and. Um, Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus as men, we would receive the blessing that although we don't hear a voice from heaven, that we would know that my brothers would know that they're your sons in whom you're well pleased in Jesus name. Now, Lord, as we begin to pray for individuals and ask you, Lord, to use us and even cause prophecy of word of knowledge, words of wisdom to flow in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. What we'd like to do at this time is, is just there's going to be four men in four different corners. And if you would just get in the line and, and come to one of us, allow us to just lay hands on you and take a blessing over you. Amen.